Shut up and sit down. Hello, strangers, and welcome to episode 86 of Strange in the Cinema. I'm Paul Anderson, and I am still on the podcast. That is a fact. I am back. I have moved. I'm back. I'm here with co-host Pete Wall and producer Jack Mills. Gentlemen, I've missed the sound of your voices, and it is an absolute delight to be back. How are we all? Yeah, good, man. Aside from the 17 hours it's taken us to set up this tawdry little... uh, three-way telephone conversation (laughs) via the miracles of the internet but we've got it going now and so we're excited to step into vaguely new territory which is Uh, i'm going to stop you there pete there's nothing tawdry about this podcast i'll have you know well nothing tawdry about this podcast you haven't seen what's been going on in this house for the last hour (laughs) or so but yeah by the miracles of the internet and and technology of our times uh we are connecting as the two regular co-hosts of the show across miles tens of miles (laughs) Uh, so yeah we're going to get into it we're going to try and keep it as as regular as possible albeit in honour of the uh, feature review this week which is Rampage uh, Big Meets Bigger we are going to probably be uh, short meeting shorter not talking about Jack's diminutive height but more about the um, truncated nature of this episode because I've got stuff to do and I've got to get out of here in about 45 minutes so let's get into the show. Pete don't panic I think we'll be fine but yes so welcome back listeners Uh, it's genuinely a pleasure to be back as you may or may not know I've moved to Bath so going forward we will be Skyping in we'll see how it goes it feels yeah. very weird, gentlemen. I have to say, to not have you, uh, to not have Pete, you sat nearly on my lap, and Jack definitely. It basically it feels very weird to not have Pete on one knee and Jack on the other. To <laughs> be perfectly honest, uh, just to give you an insight of what happened in the previous podcast. So now I feel quite lonely, and I can see the two of you, which is nice. But yeah, so we'll see how this goes, listeners. This is this is a first for us. But the point is, we value strangers in the cinema. We want to keep it going, despite the fact that I've decided to move many tens of miles away. We will keep the podcast going, and I'm so excited to be back. Thank you very much to Claire for stepping in in my absence. It's been massively appreciated. Uh, And thank you very much to you guys for obviously doing it by yourselves last week. So, listeners, I'm sorry, but I am still here. Uh, Let's crack on, Pete. What have we got this week? You said Rampage. What are we doing? This week, Paul, yeah, we got the feature review, uh, which is Rampage. It's a big one. It's a big popcorn movie that people are talking about at the moment. So we thought we'd give that one the sort of time and attention that it may or may not deserve. Before that, we go through the regular parts of the show, the first of which is always um, in the foyer. Now, I don't know that we've got something overly formal for in the foyer this week, but Paul, is there anything that comes to your mind or that you've encountered related to films in the last week? Netflix is now bigger than, I think, Warner, Fox and someone else combined. Netflix is now that bigger player in the the industry. Like, that's incredible to think... Whatever you think of Netflix, to think that in the short term it's been it's been in this world that it's now a major studio. It basically is a studio now. You need to start looking at Netflix differently. Whatever you think of it, I think you need to start looking at Netflix differently and go. Actually, this is now a Hollywood studio. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. Like that, the, the concept of that is insane. Like if you think back to if you think back to you go back to like the 50s studio system and like you haven't really had a new studio appear a new massive player appear in Hollywood probably since I'd say arguably since the fifties. Like and now Netflix has just come along and boom. I mean they've got incredible sway. We've kind of gone over this ground a bit in previous episodes, haven't we? But what has come up recently or come to light in in a couple of articles that I think we've 
probably all read this week, uh, a lot of the listeners too, is that there's been kickback from a rather snooty or important delete as appropriate player in the form of uh, the organiser or chief of the Cannes Film Festival who has decided that uh, Netflix productions can't appear in competition at Cannes from this point onwards, or at least for the foreseeable future, and could appear out of competition, but then Netflix have uh, counterpunched and said that actually they won't be putting anything out of competition <laughs> either because they basically have just given Cannes the finger and said, like, you know, thanks but no thanks to that offer. Well, so you know what? I can't really blame Netflix for this, to, to be perfectly frank. Like, again, if you live in an ideal city which I now live in, which has an art house cinema, I hasten to add. You've barely mentioned it. Yeah, I've barely mentioned it. I've seen seen a preview of Funny Cow, which isn't even out. I don't know if you ever see it. I'm going to see Journeyman. I've seen a Japanese animation. But regardless, unless you live in a big city or a city full stop, you won't see a lot of art house films. And Netflix, as we've discussed in the past, they put Okja as a prime example. They put Okja on straight onto the fact you can see it day and date release. Now, if you can honestly tell me that Cineworld would have shown Okja day and day release in Cheltenham, you can't. So, to be honest, I, I kind of get where people are coming from going, it would be nice to see these films on the big screen. Of course it's nice to see any film on the big screen, but the, it seems to be the people that are complaining about the fact that Netflix do this are the people that have access to all of the films on the big screen all For of sure. the time. For sure. And like, I mean, to to be a little bit um, pernickety about this point, which again, we we have kind of covered, but like something like Okja, I suppose, would fall outside the categorization of art house, but is more like a sort of niche popcorn movie because Okja in Asia would have played wide as a popcorn release, not a Strangers in the Cinema popcorn release, I hasten to add, but a big, major, big screen release. Whereas over here, because the audience is niche, what we've said before, Paul, is that like, that's a release that would have come out through your like tartan, video or something like that in the past and now in place of that model that we had through blockbusters and hmvs and so on what we have is that thing piped into your house down your your internet cable so i mean the benefit of that though pete the benefit of that though is the fact that we get it day and day we get it day and date when it comes out rather than with the tartan releases and all due respect to any any independent film label releasing these films if you look at the struggle we had trying to watch call me by your name like mm. the struggle we had to try and find that, it never came to Cheltenham. I finally caught up with it like eight months after it came out, pretty much. And trying to do a podcast without press screenings is difficult. At first, the fucking time. first yeah. world problems yeah. over yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. give us press screenings. But ultimately, Call Me By Your Name is a film that we would love to have featured on the podcast without a shadow of doubt. Yet, because it didn't show in the town that we were in, it was quite difficult. Trying to get to Bristol at the time wasn't, wasn't doable because we all work other jobs. Like, and then people, like, it, I, I, I get the frustration with art house releases. Like, either put them up, put them out there when they come out. Like, Curzon have got a decent enough model, I think, where, but you still have to pay £12 to see them. Yeah. I'd happily pay £12 to see something if I can see it day and date. But, but so I understand why people, why people are supporting Netflix. I understand that people want to see things on the big screen. But at the same time, if you're going to have to wait eight months to a year or never see something or Netflix put it out on day and day release. I'm fully behind Netflix doing it. Absolutely, and and I agree, and I think we're on the same page. Although, you know, again, for the sake of balance, uh, Call Me By Your Name didn't release on the Netflix platform either. It didn't, no, but it didn't. No, but what what the other side of this coin is, surely, Paul, is that, like, this monolithic power in home streaming cinema now that we have in Netflix, yes, Amazon are coming up, yes, there's going to be a Disney platform in the pipeline, uh, it seems to be at the moment, but... 
you've got such a, a, a they've got such a grip like a, a chokehold on a particular chunk big chunk of the industry that if they see fit to put something on their platform then they will and we'll see it and that's great and we appreciate all that and, and if they all decide and not to right. then maybe we don't so in which that and that's fine i get that but for example if if there was so the annihilation situation i think is a valid is a valid point here the annihilation the film annihilation there was, from what I understand from what I've read about it, there was one producer who decided that the end was too smart and wanted it done down. And the test screenings indicated that actually the end of the film was too smart for, just too smart in bunny ears here. I'm not, I'm not denigrating anyone that didn't like it, but too smart in bunny ears, which you can see me on webcam doing, but I realise that you can't see this at home, but so too smart. Um, so therefore, one of the producers went, no, it's, it's too clever for audiences. The test screening to show we need to dumb it down. Both Alex Garland, the director, and the second producer said, no, we're not dumbing it down. And then the other producer went, right, we're banging it out on Netflix then. But at least then we get to see it uncut rather than a recut version, rather than a recut second-rate version of a film. So it works both ways. Well, I mean, it does, for sure. And the, the cinema landscapes, uh, landscapes change because, I mean, let's not forget that like something like the Danny Boyle movie, Sunshine, hardly had a crowd-pleaser of an ending but showed fairly wide in cinemas. But the truth is that we're not where we were in terms of cinema releasing uh, now compared to, you know, where we were then, right? That's changed too. So there's but a lot to... But Danny Boyle, but what's frustrating about Sunshine? Sunshine's a, uh, Sunshine, do you know what, Pete? That's a fucking great example because Sunshine is a perfect example because Danny Boyle has said, because Sunshine disappointed financially at the box office, he said he wouldn't do such a financially expensive movie again, which is a crying shame because Sunshine's incredible. Like, I adore Sunshine. And maybe Netflix is the platform now where film directors get to be a bit more adventurous. Yeah, right. although I, I, I right. you know, in a perfect world, I'd like to see that, that ball of sort of blazing gases on the biggest screen possible rather than... I'd love to have seen an annihilation on a cinema screen, don't get me wrong, but I don't think we'd have got to see it in the form that we got to see it in. I think we'd have seen a compromised annihilation on the big screen as opposed to what we got on Netflix. So, but, in case yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult argument. It's a difficult argument. In case you've not listened to our show before, this is the uh, argue about streaming and distribution platforms podcast uh, <laughs> with with Paul and Pete, your two regular co-hosts. Uh, Paul, let's get out of the foyer and let's get into the next section of our show, which we uh, lovingly refer to as popcorn movies. So yes, uh, first popcorn movie of the week. Uh, this, for me, is Mary and the Witch's Flower. I don't know if you're aware of this, guys, but I've moved to Bath where we have like preview screenings. Oh my God. <laughs> What's the film about? Tell the people no, about the film. About, I've heard enough about Korea, so I'm just going to talk about Bath I all the time literally now. literally never <laughs> talk about Korea. My God. What's the film about? It's a so, film podcast. Mary and the Witch's Flower is a the debut effort of uh, a studio called Studio Ponoch. Uh, you may see it as Ponoch, Pete, and you may go, you're pronouncing that wrong. But in the preview screen I saw, there was an interview with the studio itself who said it's pronounced Ponoch. So I'm not having you correct me on this one. It's Studio Ponoch. I've lost the will this to is, live. What's the film good, about? Good. The film is about uh, a girl, Mary. Basically, so Studio Ponoch is, um, is, is formed of people that used to work for Studio Ghibli before the, the guys behind Studio Ghibli retired. Um, and it is a very much a, a Japanese animation, very much in the spirit of Studio Ghibli. Uh, the guy that wrote the film, I think, has written a number of films for, for aforementioned studio. Um, and it is just fucking beautiful. Like, 
I think it was so nice that, that they did, as I said, they did like an interview with, with the guys that made it at the beginning and they were very contrite. They were like, oh, we don't know whether it's going to match up to Ghibli's work. We don't know whether it's going to do this. We don't know if we can do that. From the moment the opening frame rolls, you're like, this is just beautiful. Like, jaw-droppingly beautiful. Like, by far, if, if Studio Ghibli stop making films, if Studio Products keep making films, then I'm quite happy. It may as well be a Ghibli film. It has some resemblance to Kiki's Delivery Service in terms of the fact it's about a young witch, um, but it is just an absolute delight from start to finish. Like, and just batshit crazy, but emotionally powerful in 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 the way that Studio Ghibli has been in the entire time, and it just looks incredible. Like, Studio Ghibli's done some very impressive animations. I've not seen there's there's a there's a bit towards the end as you might imagine if you know these films there's a bit towards the end of the film where the kind of the villain ish kind of comes into play and it's this big kind of force of nature in a similar way to you've got the big the big creature at the end of Princess Mononoke so you've got this big force of nature villain creature that comes into it and oh my god my jaw just hit the floor in terms of the fact that people crown jaw this like it's just incredible. And uh, I'm looking, I see, I'm looking at the moment. And is that a Ponyo poster I can see behind you, Pete? It, is that a... I, I think it, it could be. It could be. There's think a possibility. Yeah, there's a lot going on in this room. Yeah, I can, so I can see like a Ponyo picture, a Ponyo poster behind you. And yeah, it's like, if, if they were concerned, they wouldn't much Studio Ghibli. They don't need to be. Their star will shine very, very bright for a very long time. Mm. And if you are, and if you are remotely interested in Japanese animation, Please see Mary and the Witch's Flower. It's incredible. It's an absolute delight, and they have worn their legacy incredibly well. I um, instantly rewatched uh, My Neighbor Totoro this week. Uh, so oh, I'm boom. On, the, on that vibe. Boom. <laughs> um, first popcorn movie for me this week is what I believe is the directorial debut of Michael Pierce. This one was a preview. You know, it's not only your fancy bath previews. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this was a preview, and uh, the film is called Beast, and it centers. Good. It centres on uh, a young woman played by the actress Jessie Buckley, who has clearly got like a troubled past. She lives at home with her parents, although she seems to be comfortably into her mid-twenties. Her parents seem to have quite a lot of control over both her sort of ins and outs of her behaviour, where she goes when she returns and that kind of thing, and also on her behavior in the house what she's allowed to say and do and not say and do the plot is pushed into motion when she leaves her own birthday party because she's so sort of uh, sick of being talked at by people that she can't really connect with drifts off into the countryside um, I should say the film is set on the island of Jersey so all around is ocean this this very sort of oppressive feeling that for her and for us there's going to be no escape from this place and she happens to meet a guy played by Johnny Flynn who uh, Francesca my fiance tells me is a singer songwriter from the UK who's been on the, yeah, the, those rounds for a bit but yeah. uh, also has appeared in, in various um, fairly big productions and he is this guy stalking the uh, the moors who saves her from a sort of a, a bit of a scrape and they start a relationship which is frowned upon by all of her family because he seems to be a bit r rough around the edges from the wrong side of the tracks and so on the film to me um, is powerful not least because jesse buckley um, is really really excellent in the lead role um, and i was sort of 
drawn in enough by her performance to maybe overlook some of the flaws or the creaks in the screenplay. The other big winner with this film is the the cinematographer because the thing is beautiful, almost to a fault, almost to the point where the screenplay is like creaking under the weight of the beauty of some of the imagery and some of the... um, stylistic choices that the cinematographer and the director Michael Pierce make here like slowing down action like cameras bobbing above and below the surface of water like these big vistas across the the rolling hills in Jersey it's powerful stuff um, and it goes to some relatively dark uh, places until an ending which maybe doesn't quite do justice to what's gone before I think maybe it feels 10 minutes longer than it needed to be and I feel like I say that about so many films but yeah it's a lot it's of films a, are too long though in fairness so, yeah, yeah it, it's a really it's a really interesting watch I think Jessie Buckley is is one I said coming out of this that she really reminded me of Felicity Jones and so that okay. for me is, is, a, is a big compliment really and I think she's going to go on to good things but we'll have to wait and see also uh, Geraldine, Geraldine James who was in things like 45 Years that I talked about a while ago uh, plays Jessie Buckley's character's mother and is okay. really good as this sort of like iron, uh, mean-spirited, sort of clipped and s- controlling uh, figure. But yeah, Beast is worth checking out. It came out uh, in 2017 at festivals and is on general release, I think, in about a week or two's time. Paul, yeah. what have you got second? Uh, well, funny you should say that, Pete. I've got another preview. <laughs> Go ahead, A bath sir. preview, a bath preview at Picture House, an art house cinema in Bath. Yes, I've got one of those. Um so this is uh, this is Funny Cow, directed by Adam Shergold, uh, and the kind of the central the, the the core of this is I kind of I went into it and after it came out I thought it might be a biopic. It's not. Apparently, it is a drama. It's basically Maxine Peake, who people will probably know from her TV or theatre work um, as uh, an up and coming female stand up comic in the seventies, uh, and her kind of struggles to be recognised as. As a, as a stand-up comic, as a female in the 70s. Um, and, yeah, it's, it, it took me... I kind of went into it thinking maybe this would be kind of generic, kind of brick flip, kind of standard, kind of working-class drama kind of fare. And, actually, yeah, some of it is that. And I really like the fact that, actually, it's not... It's actually not a biopic. It is, it is entirely a drama. Maxine Peake is incredible in this film. Like an absolute tour de force. You will have seen her in film, in TV. You will have seen her in theatre. She's incredible. Brings to mind Educating Rita to a certain extent, and I think the director is certainly trying to channel an element of Educating Rita. But she is an absolute force of nature. You've got Paddy Constantine on supporting duties here, um, who is who is good for the small part that he pays. Um, but it's a film that could have been very, very generic and could have fallen into the trap of just being an average blip flick, and it's not, and it's mainly because of Maxine Peake. There are moments, it's as funny as it is harrowing, um, and what I will say is that there are moments, and I've read a couple of I've read a couple of pieces about this, where you go, actually, it's a film about stand-up comics, so why isn't it funny? And then they've criticised the humour that Maxine Peake's character delivers on stage, so she drops some very offensive jokes um, as part of her stand-up routine, and I'm not going to say I condone the humour, but I will applaud the filmmaker by going, actually, no, this is the jokes that a stand-up comic would have told at the time. So there's some anti-Pakistani jokes, as you can imagine, the word that she's going to have dropped in that. I'm not willing to say it myself without the context of the film. Um, and actually, I kind of, 
as much as yes, that is not an acceptable word to say. I condone. I, I do condone the film for going. Actually, those are the kind of jokes that would have been told at the time when she was a stand-up comic. Mm-hmm. And I think the film is actually quite brave for making her say those lines. Um, and yeah, I think it's a, it's a very powerful film. Um, it's a very funny film in places. And there is an especially great moment. It's, it's dark. It's a black comedy without a shadow of doubt. This is an especially great moment where. So she comes on stage, previous to her coming on stage, there's a stripper that comes on stage at four in the afternoon. And basically it's like, imagine if a stripper came on the stage in Phoenix Nights. It's just as awkward as you might imagine. So funny cow, Maxine Peake is a force of nature in it. And had it not been for her, yes, it might have been an average film, but she is in it. She's incredible. And I hope she gets more film work because of it. And it's quite bold in, in what it does in terms of representing humour from the 70s. We might not like what the humour in the 70s was, but it was that, and I respect it for showing that. So, yeah. Um, so, second for me on popcorn movies is one that I searched out. There's such a shallow reason to find this film, but it's because it's one of the films that has a, a credited performance from Rosario Dawson, and that is enough for me. I'm in the door. Uh, funnily <laughs> enough, the film itself was interesting as well, because this is from a screenwriter director, Mark Webber. Um, he's a young... Uh, sort the of Honda a, Formula 1 driver. Sorry? The Honda Formula One driver. That no? is absolutely not correct. No, uh, Mark, Mark Webber, in fact, is yeah this writer director who collabs here on the screenplay and also directs the film. But his collaborative screenplay is with his in real life wife uh, Teresa Palmer, Australian actress Teresa Palmer, who looks and sort of acts a little bit Kristen Stewart. Which again, uh, my theme for today is actresses who act a little bit like other actresses that I like. Um, the film uh, as it is you only like one actress and that is Kristen Stewart (laughs) debatably Um, (laughs) the the film is called The Ever After and it deals with a relationship uh, of two people played by Mark Webber and Teresa Palmer who are like in their mid 30s they seem to have it all they've got a young daughter they live together Uh, he's a fashion photographer he's making good money she's staying at home to help raise their child but uh, the title, The Ever After, is very clearly from almost the outset ironic. Um, we see like a flash of happiness and enjoyment in the relationship early on. And then we jump forward to the present day in which these two are grinding each other's gears, but also just like a, an existential breaking point where he is going further and further into this world of like debauchery and drinking and drugs and shallow kind of bullshitty relationships with models and other photographers and stuff. And he's clearly on the path to cheating on his wife. And she, on the other hand, feels neglected, has been left at home, is is not being um, paid attention to. She stumbles across a character played by the fantastic actress Melissa Leo, um, who runs a sort of a women's knitting, crocheting and also and mainly gossiping group. And they tr- attempt to support her whilst her husband careers out of control. Um, Rosario Dawson in the movie plays Rosario Dawson. Uh Kid Cuddy, the rapper, plays Kid Cuddy, the rapper, and Moby plays a DJ called Moby. So um, there's this kind of weird... <laughs> so blur- like a stretch for those guys. Yeah, there's, like there's, there's, Mark Webber's sort of interested in blurring the line between their real relationship off-screen and the relationship of there's, these two Does Mark Webber characters. play a racing driver in this, or is he... <laughs> there's no connection to the racing driver, <laughs> just because you're obsessed with Formula One. Um, I've never, never bought it up before in my life, but yeah. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's an interesting thing. I mean, it's one of those films where, like, I suppose me, as a viewer, I am inclined to be the guy where stuff just falls into, like, 
nihilism and um you know like like i probably said about the last uh nicholas winning refin movie like vacuous stuff is vacuous is not the most interesting sort of um, strand of, of plotting no however i think he's a talented actor he's clearly an emerging talent as a director as well and i think she's really really captivating teresa palmer so i'd look out for her in, in many things to come they're doing another film together in 2019 called like freaky reeky deaky leaky or something he's got the weirdest wow. title you'll okay. ever find <laughs> look it up anyway but uh yeah that one's called the ever after and it actually came out in 2015 it's available on prime video if you have that service um that's about the end of this unless you've yes. got anything to yeah. add here jack unfortunately not i've been really bad at cinema cool last few yeah but you came to see me in bath which pete hasn't that's done yet, true so well yeah, done yeah. jack yeah, yeah. well you know when you've finished making eyes at each other we're going to go on to the next part of the show <laughs> which we like to call coming attractions Brilliant. I feel like because I didn't have anything to say in popcorn movies, I'm going to start my coming attraction. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Jack, have you just opened a section of your own volition? I did like, just open a section. Wow. He's drunk wow. on power now. Jesus He's drunk Christ. on power. I've been, off for, I've been off for two weeks and suddenly you're running the show. You, like, give, you give the guy wow. an infrared mouse and he gets... You give him an inch. You give him, a, you give him an inch, he takes a mile. Okay. <laughs> no, wait, yeah. continue, Jack. It's fine. You've started. You've hit it. All right, brilliant. So uh, this week going with my popular craze of sort of speaking about a film that doesn't come out for a couple of months i've gone with uh hotel artemis which is set in sort of a riot torn near future los angeles so way in the future and it's basically a hotel that is a hospital for criminals so they have hotel from john wick isn't it really basically so they have to be uh a criminal to have a membership for this hospital. So if they've had a gunshot wound or something like that, then they can go to this hospital if they've paid their membership to go in. Um, so we've got Jodie Foster in this movie who plays uh, the nurse at um, the hospital. And we've got Jeff Goldblum, actually, who appears uh, in this uh, film. Whoa, 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 whoa. I think you'll find he's described as the best of the Jeffs. The best of the Jeffs? He the best of the Jeffs is Jeff Goldblum. I like that. Yeah, that's better. That's better, Jack. If you're going yeah. to open a section, open it properly. I will. Uh, <laughs> so his character name is uh, the Wolf King, which I kind of like. Boom. Jeff Goldblum um, is the Wolf King. Yeah, and it's, it's got uh, some other... So I think Sterling K. Brown is one of the main sort of actors in it. It's also got Charlie Day from... Um, uh, what's that? Crazy. Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Always yeah. Sunny in Philadelphia. Thank you there, Pete. Um, and, and Pacific Rim. And Pacific Rim, yeah, in fact, Pacific Rim. Uh, Paul's favourite film, of course. So, um, <laughs> the director is called uh, Drew Pierce. Uh, now, he's he also writes his film as well, and he's writing and um, directorial sort of things. He's written uh, Iron Man 3 uh, and Mission Impossible, one of the Mission Impossibles. Jack, 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 Jack. Yeah. Can I just stop there for a second? Okay. So, so I move towns... And you suddenly do your research. Are you trying to just bin me off of the show? No, like, not at all. Of time, the amount of times, <laughs> no, no, the amount of times I've gone, Jack, who's directed this? Who's written this? And suddenly, I, I know, I know, I know, disappeared for two weeks, and suddenly you, you've come well prepared. I'm impressed, Jack. I, I'm impressed. Oh, Pray continue. You. Anything else to say about this film? Time, 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 time. Okay, time. Uh, yes, it comes out. It's expected on the 20th of July this year. Yeah, the, cl- the cast looks like an absolute banger from uh, from that list. Yeah, really great. And Sophia Vartella, did you mention her already? 
Mess with the Jeff. Sophia Valtella, the mummy as well, who's all yes, flexible. The trailer's, the trailer's wicked, by the way. If you haven't watched the trailer, it should. It looks like a lot of fun. But, um, yeah. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be as brief as possible to set an example. Um, let Do you want to know time, Pete, by any chance? I absolutely <laughs> am, as I told both of you. Uh, my coming attraction is Let the Sunshine In, which is on limited release. It's not in Bath, it's in Bristol. You'll have to travel. Uh, released <laughs> this coming Friday, April 20th. The reason to care about this is, well, there are two, really, two big reasons. That's Claire Denis, who is the director, French director, who is pretty fantastic. Who's incredible, And then uh, the actress, Juliette Binoche, uh, who I'm sure you're aware of. Um, Yeah, with them in combination, I'm already in the door, or probably more likely on the internet trying to find a copy. Uh, This uh, film centres on a character called Isabella, who's a prison artist. She's divorced, uh, she's a mother, and she's looking for love, true love, at last. Uh, yeah, I'm in for those reasons and those reasons alone. Paul, what have you got? What have I got? So yeah. I've got Hereditary, uh, which is a horror film directed by Ari Aster, uh, starring, amongst others, um, Tony Collette. Uh, now, I have a... I, yeah, the, the trailer looks incredible. I have to say the trailer looks very atmospheric. You've got your kind of traditional creepy child in the situation. I rate Tony Collette as an actress. Uh, I am quite looking forward to this horror film. As you know, I'm a big fan of horror cinema. Uh, more to the point that I bring it up is the fact that definitely check out the trailer. It looks ace. But seriously, other film critics out there, you can do better than this is this generation's exorcist. Because surely this generation's exorcist, just watch the fucking exorcist. Like, <laughs> I'm sick of this generation's this and this generation's that. Hereditary does look very good. It has got very good reviews. It looks very atmospheric. It looks very creepy. If you're a fan of horror cinema certainly watch this but seriously critics try harder than this generation's this but but there isn't that better than you used to get those blockbuster like video cases where it'd always be like such and such big movie meets such and such big movie right yeah. like this is the exorcist meets mission impossible or whatever and you're like yeah. i don't even know what that so, means this is this is jurassic park meets there will be blood i'd love to see in venice i'd love to see that we'll do we'll do a feature on this sometime yeah, yeah we should do a feature on this but yeah hereditary it looks as tony collette starring it does look like a very atmospheric horror it looks like it could be quite a good year for horror uh, with the two horrors that you talked about last week that painfully I wasn't on the podcast for. But yes, anyway, right, we're so, out. Pete. So, um, yeah, grab grab that popcorn, uh, take a seat and get ready for uh, the feature review, which is Rampage to smash through a wall and rip off your face. We'll be right back with that review after this. So we are back. So, um, yeah, the movie tagline here, as I mentioned earlier, big meat bigger, of course, refers to the fact that Dwayne The Rock Johnson is meeting more than his match in the shape of a giant albino gorilla uh, played by a man with uh, fancy digital additions. It isn't Andy Serkis, which is a headline in, of, in and of itself. Uh, it's the, Jones, this it, it, yeah, maybe. Uh, the, the film, though, uh, to, to <laughs> Sorry, yeah, go on. the film to set it up, is has such a ludicrous plot as to not really be worth talking about. But basically, at the beginning of the film, uh, some stuff falls out of space, and that stuff gets into some animals that are in a, in a nature reserve where the primatologist, uh, Dwayne Johnson, is looking after his best friend, George, the aforementioned albino uh, ape. 
and um, it turns a small collection of these creatures into giant sort of supercharged versions of themselves that go on a rampage across the territory of Chicago. This is based, I believe, and you'd know, Paul, on a 1980s video game, and they paid like $13 million for the rights or something like that? Is that, is that it true? is, yes. It's based on, I think, an old... Correct me if I'm wrong, listeners, but I think it's an old Atari video game that came out, I believe, in like the Amiga, the, the Amiga days. Yeah. You just basically you controlled uh, one of three giant creatures that just smashed up cities. So yeah. there was no storyline. It's, it's not like it's not like they had characters to work on or anything like that. But yes, and I think that the project that created the creatures was called Project Rampage. In fact, so uh, yeah. yes. Well, in, Very uh, loosely based on a video game. As I understand yeah. it, in the video game, people became um, infected, if you like, and turned into these giant creatures. In the film, we don't get that transformation. What we get is smaller or regular-sized creatures, let's say, uh, becoming yeah, supercharged, super-powered. But the point is, no one cares about the plot. The point is that we have The Rock, we have stuff exploding, and we have Brad Payton, who bought us uh, San Andreas, the last team-up that he had with, with jo- Dwayne Johnson, and the guy knows how to blow up a building. Um, before we get into our thoughts here's a clip last night he was seven feet 500 pounds this morning he's almost nine feet pushing a thousand are you familiar with CRISPR? yeah genetic engineering uh, it's more like genetic editing i am the only one who can cure him George, no! Wow, so that clip uh, is basically of George, the white albino gorilla, escaping as he's been mutated. Yeah, before all the sort of roaring and gnashing of teeth, you did hear another character. That character is uh, Dr. Kate Coldwell, played here by Naomi Harris, barely stifling a laugh at some of the stuff that she has to say and do (laughs) in this movie. Uh, I'll mention before I hand over to Paul for some insight that uh, also the the sort of main players, I guess, here are um, uh, a pair of siblings... Claire and Claire and Brett Wyden, <laughs> played by uh, Jake Lacey and Malin Ackerman. Malin Ackerman, uh, a blonde uh, Scandinavian actress who here has uh, dark hair and it looks a bit. What's odd. happened to Malin Ackerman in this? But yeah, um, but, uh, so yeah, just uh, yeah. They, Sorry, well, I was just going to say to finish, Paul, that they play these um, sort of like corporate evil figures who Team Rocket. They play yeah, Team Rocket. Who set in motion <laughs> this project rampage that has gone awry and sent sent a giant monkey and his crew across Chicago. Paul, what did you make of the movie? Uh, uh, did it did it grab the, you in the, the, film, in the throat the film to be frank is absolute nonsense from start to finish uh and but what i liked about rampage is it knows it's absolute nonsense from start to finish its tongue is firmly in its cheek and do you know what i have been a fan of dwayne the rock johnson from the uh, from his early days of wwe in fact when he left wwe i stopped watching wwe because he was incredible because he a hundred percent of the time gives 100% himself to his performance, whatever he's doing, and he's carried that over two films. And I have to say, if it wasn't for Dwayne Johnson in this, I'd be looking at probably quite a negative review. But I love the guy to bits. Like, he gives every role you see him in, he gives absolutely everything to make it entertaining. And once again, for me here, he, he carries this film. He carries an absolute load of tosh. But he carries it to the point where it makes yeah. it to me a little bit better. Like I mean, he I mean, deserves so much applause for how much he cares about his audience. 
I like, mean, whatever you think of the film that surrounds it. Pete, go on, sorry. Yeah, I mean, at this point, uh, Dwayne Johnson, uh, The Rock, uh, could basically open an envelope and it would make like half a billion yeah, dollars worldwide, totally. right? So, yeah. yeah deservedly so, because he does it, he does it, he, he cares. He genuinely cares. Yeah, I, I think you're bang on. And I, I was talking about him actually recently and just saying that, like, he's one of those guys we realise, like, the very top of the top and not the people who step on necks and backstab other stars. No. They're the people who are just delightful to everybody. And well, I don't know you if you saw him... this. Yeah, carry on. I don't know if you saw this, but I saw we. I was I logged into our Instagram feed and we, we, we I looked at the Rock's Instagram feed and he posted this video and he was like, he literally was looking down at his dashboard cam. He's like, right guys, so rampage opens today. I'm gonna go and go. I'm gonna go straight into the cinema. I'm doing free cinemas in LA today. I'm gonna walk in while they're watching Rampage, and this is what I've decided to do with my day. And I was like, how incredible would that be? And they're watching Rampage, and the Rock just walks in. But you get the impression with him, it's just like he's chosen to do that himself. It's not a PR stunt. He's just gone. I'm just gonna walk into the people watching my film and just go, hey, here I am. So he's he's the ultimate star as far as I'm concerned at the moment. He's brilliant as a yeah. Hollywood star. You can ask for no better. Like, yeah, but anyway, I mean, we're talking about the film, but yeah, yeah, I mean, have we got anything? I mean, it's very hard to apply sort of film film criticism of, of much <laughs> yeah, uh, sort of terrible, description yeah. to this, but um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are other people doing other things. I think the Malin Ackerman, Jake Lacey side He's, kind of plot is is a bit pointless, and they just sort of yeah, they get to just like walk around an office. I think they have one honest, external scene. To be honest, I I'd rather they went there. I would say, I, well, I'd, I'll be honest, I, I gave this three and a half stars on uh, on on Letterboxd. Uh, for basically because I thought the last half an hour was some of the most entertaining action cinema we've seen this year. Um, it was marred by a poor man's team rocket, which is what I thought the villains were. In fact, my wife, my wife Laura, dropped that reference. She was like, "Team Rocket, the villains in this? Like, what the fuck's going on here?" Yeah, it was marred by the villains. The villains and, and, could have been better. And but, like Jeffrey, Jeffrey Dean Morgan is just in like a different film. <laughs> playing this this cowboy <laughs> character he's having a great time yeah, but like yeah, I, I don't yeah, know what's yeah, that's totally, yeah, but yeah. I mean, and then, yeah it's it's silly but like for me the set piece is delivered uh the final set piece delivered the rock delivers especially in the final set piece when he's got a grenade launcher for firing it at a giant crocodile like the rock fires a grenade launcher giant crocodile you've got to give it a pass for that at least it was it was fine uh, I enjoyed it a lot. I enjoyed it a lot because of Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Had he not been in it, it'd probably been a one-star film. As he's in it, I'm going to go three and a half. Not that we're scoring movies, but... Well, it looks like you are yeah, now. I, I am now scoring. <laughs> I'm scoring this film. I think it's important to say that without his presence, it would have scored a lot, lot lower than it did. It, it but his also... presence is a lot of fun in a film. Like Absolutely. He enhances a film is what I'm getting at. As a footnote, like it's also uh, sort of slightly heartening to see that um, you know it, not everything is a bed of roses. When uh, for the you know the actor Joe Manganiello, who's married to Sofia Vergara, but in this yes. movie, uh, his life ends in just a fantastic, fantastic <laughs> way, yeah. and, I, and I quite yeah. enjoyed that. Uh, but yeah, wish the guy no ill. Obviously, seems like a you nice. You can't really nice give it, I mean, as, as much as we've chosen to feature it. You can't really give an in-depth review of Rampage. It no, does exactly what it says on the I tin. Mean, in an like, al in an alternate world, which is running around. Like, yeah, in an alternate world, Paul, I'd come on here and, and do my usual dance, which would be to say that like you can easily read loads and loads of subtext into this movie because it's about an infected other that attacks big buildings in a city that then collapse in a sort of vertical pattern, and this is all seemingly very deliberate and has a lot of uh, uh, possibly pathos in, in you know contemporary society, but it doesn't really seem worth doing that because no, because it's just fun. It's, it's, it's the rock fighting just, big supercharged. Yeah. It's just, it's just a lot of fun and I think 
The thing is, I agree with you, Pete, because it would be quite easy to do that if the film, even in the slightest, took itself even a little bit seriously. It doesn't. It knows what it is. It knows what it is from start to finish. And do you know what? No, it's not an Oscar winner. It's well, it's it's not even a good film. But I had a fun time in the cinema watching it. I would say when I talked about Pacific Rim Uprising a couple of weeks ago, it's kind of I came out feeling the same way that I felt felt about Pacific Rim Uprising. I was like, it's massive. It's massive. There's loads of other things flying around the screen. The sound effects are great. The action scenes are great. It was just silly fun. Yeah, and, and, and quite honestly, basis. like to, right. to go back on your point, like th- at this point, I think The Rock could have opened that movie Geostorm and it would have been all right. It would have been much better. If The Rock, yeah. instead of Gerald Butler, it would have actually been much better. Yeah, yeah. 100%, 100% agree with you. Can we also agree that like, I would just like The Rock or David Okoye or whatever they've called him in the latest film to end <laughs> every movie by just Derek saying... Okoye. <laughs> somebody says, uh, what, what do we do now? And then he intones, <laughs> we rebuild. Because yeah. I desperately want to get in that movie. That's movie. San Andreas. No, no, I'm, I'm fully aware that it's San Andreas. Oh, okay. But that's, yeah, yeah. that's what I expected yeah. him to say at the end of this one as well. Because it was like the yeah. exact same same situation by the end of it we've smashed up a city there we go so uh, yeah, yeah. What, what do we think no it's not a great film will you have a great time at the cinema watching it yes you absolutely I, will i mean that's I, where i stand I, I stand close to you uh, but just at the remove that i think it's a good film and i think you'll have a, a pretty good time and from what you said paul i absolutely agree like the reason for that is dwayne johnson there's not yeah. maybe a load else to recommend this no, movie, there isn't. No, but then there, there are giant monsters and, and dwayne johnson so you know what yeah. do you want you pays your money you makes your choice you eat your popcorn and yeah it'll be all right it'll be right if you go to the cinema over the weekend and see this um before we get out of here because i am very close to running out of time paul do you have any end credits or credits to give to the world of films yes i do yes i do oh god so i would very much like to pay credit to the member of staff at my local odeon cinema who walked into a cinema and proactively asked the man to put his phone away incredible pete genuinely incredible I literally looked and I was like, is she asking him to put his phone away? She actually asked the man to put his phone away. Brilliant. So, fuck nice. you, Cineworld. Never nice. went to Cineworld. Yes, so that's my credit, is to Odeon and that particular member of staff. Although, well played, although to be fair, that did happen in, in a screening that I saw in, in Cineworld of uh, Magic Mike XXL, where someone got chucked out for using their phone and the entire auditorium cheered and clapped. So, <laughs> it has happened before, but it's very, very rare. Uh, Jack, anything to credit this week? Uh, I will probably give credit to the programme that we use, Spreaker, for actually working this week. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. It's nice and brief, and I'll do the same. Uh, Going back on on something you mentioned earlier on, Paul, I want to give credit this week to uh, Studio Ghibli movies and going back to them. Because, yeah, as I mentioned, I saw um, My Neighbour Totoro for the second time this week. Incredible. I I would have done it as a, a popcorn movie, except that this time I happened to see it no not streaming through uh, film four and it was dubbed with the american dubbing which is fine uh, and you know there are decent yeah. performances but i think those films in my opinion are much much better with the original japanese and subtitles so i suppose my recommendation is for um foreign language films with the original language and subtitles and particularly studio ghibli stuff if you haven't seen it because it is real good i guess that's I the end of the it, show isn't it? isn't it paul i think that's it so it's slightly truncated so thank you for listening uh thank you for having me back guys much appreciated Pleasure. i'm glad i have been fired uh, so that's quite <laughs> nice uh, check us out on at strangers cinema on twitter strangers cinema on instagram and strangers cinema on facebook you want to email strangers cinema at gmail.com uh, and we will be back next week so thank you for having me back guys and good night to everyone boom shut up and sit down